What's up, everybody? Today, I want to talk a little bit about luck and the factor that luck plays, especially in this last game against the Commanders, plus some chit-chat about Kirk Cousins and TJ Hawkinson. Welcome to the Lockdown Vikings podcast. You liked it on three, one, two, three. You, like you are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. Show is on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. Thank you so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day. You can also find this show on Amazon Fire or Roku if you download the Locked On Minnesota Sports app. Watch it right on your smart TV. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Today on Locked On Vikings, I want to start by talking a little bit about luck. I have heard that a lot about this Commanders game. So, I, look, I'm the kid you copied off in math class. I figured, let's try to quantify luck, he said spitting in the face of God. <laughs> um, so I set out to do this. I, I went to uh, Pro Football References play-by-play EPA metric, which is the only play-by-play EPA that I have. Um, if you have access to like NFL Scraper or something, I, I don't have the skill set to do that, um, but go ham. And I, I just kind of looked at the most impactful plays and I just tried to make a sort of gut call judgment on whether or not they were luck like lucky plays and not like earned plays. And you know what? I expanded the definition to luck influenced plays. Where did fortune favor Washington or Minnesota? I came up with six plays and I just sort of categorized them. Okay. How much EPA did luck cost Washington? How much did it cost Minnesota? And let's see. And what I found was that it kind of evened out the way that I did it. However, my gut call judgment for what a lucky play is, is like an insanely subjective thing. And so if you disagree, feel free to throw one out. Or if I didn't mention a play that you thought was really lucky, maybe I forgot one. Uh, or maybe I just disagree, and that's also perfectly fine. Add your own in, right? And you can do the same thing. It's all just on pro football reference. Um, but the plays that were lucky that I decided to include, we'll start with the ones that favored Washington. So this is where I thought the Vikings got unlucky. Uh, the biggest one, of course, is that ref play. The uh, back judge running into Cam Bynum right as he's about to intercept one, turns into a, a touchdown instead. Um, that counted for 5.01 EPA. It's about five expected points added. By the way, if you are unfamiliar, expected points is a metric that sort of tries to take a given touchdown drive. Like imagine a touchdown drive that's 10 plays that ends in a one-yard touchdown. Well, that one-yard touchdown wasn't does not comprise all of the value of the play. It wouldn't, you know, fantasy, but um, that whole drive is not really captured by just looking at the one-yard touchdown. What if you took the value, the seven-point touchdown value, and spread it over all of those plays, depending on how many yards they got and how many downs and distances and stuff, you know, give more to third downs, that kind of thing. That's what EPA does, expected points added. They say, hey, if you have a first and 10 from the 30-yard line, you're in field goal range, 
that's going to be about three EPA. You're expected to get a field goal. Some teams do better. Some teams screw it up and turn it over or whatever. You have about three EPA from there. And then if you complete a pass and you get to first and goal, that might be five EPA now. So you added two EPA. That's the way that EPA works if you're unfamiliar. Um, and everybody's model is a little different for how they quantify things. What is going from first to second down mean? What's successful? What's a good play in this? What's a bad play in this? Blah, blah, blah. It's a lot of historical data, and there's a lot of different ways to do it. I'm using um, PFRs. You don't have to worry about that minutia. So the ref play was worth five EPA. However, this particular model is not accounting for that. It probably would have been an interception. It's not guaranteed. Um, so call it like a 90% chance that it would have been an interception. So a 90% chance of an actual turnover, which would have been more, but this only counts for five uh, in, in this particular exercise. There's also the halftime interception. Now the clock was out after that, so it didn't actually add as much EPA. And I, I don't know if PFR's model understands that, but it pretty much just zeroed out. The Vikings had 3.23 EPA going into that, and then they ended up with zero because of the interception. That was the, the tipped ball interception. A contested catch, good play by the corner. So maybe you take this one out and say, hey, St. Juice earned it. Um, but it did tip like right to a commander, which felt pretty unlucky. And then the Dantzler personal foul. This is a pretty sketchy ad, but I decided if I felt sketchy about it, I'd rather add it and let people decide for themselves if they wanted to remove it or not. Um, then, you know, might as well mention more plays. The Cam Dantzler play was the one where he got hurt too. He like slid under a, a, a lineman and that's like a cut block thing you can't do. Um, I saw a lot of people arguing with that call and saying that that shouldn't have been a 15-yard penalty. I don't necessarily agree with them, but I figured I would throw it on the list anyways, and if you want, it's it's two EPA, so you can take two off of this if you disagree with that. Totally fine. Uh, on the other hand, ones that favored the Vikings, the biggest one is the Heineke interception. Now, again, bad commander's play. They deserve to have that happen to them. That's a skill issue, right? So not necessarily that much of a factor of luck, but it was a gift to the Vikings. So if you want to say, Hey, the Vikings got lucky because they played a backup quarterback. That's sort of how it's manifesting 5.1 EPA. The most impactful play of the game was that Harrison Smith interception from Taylor Heineke, where he sailed one and Harrison Smith was right there. Um, pretty sure there was also a little bit of pressure on that, that, that sailed the throw. Got to catch it, right? Got to, you know, make the play. Um, so there is some skill involved, but that's the most impactful play of the game, and you could argue that it is a gift if you wanted to be a big hater about it. The uh, field goal penalty at the end, again, skill issue on the commander's part. These are the mistakes that they made that we didn't make, so that's a differentiating factor. But if you want to say, man, that was a gift, a lucky break, the, uh, the nose tackle on the commanders in a field goal formation, you can't go head up against the long snapper. He's defenseless because of how involved a process long snapping is so you can't just bowl him over and they bowled him over it was the easiest call in the world total gift though like that's not that doesn't reflect the talent of the vikings at all i guess not making that mistake does you know one team screwed that up one team didn't but that you could call it a gift and then the uh dpi penalty on benjamin st Just on what would have been a pick six a lot of commanders fans thought that was a really bad call so i threw it in here um and you can also add six EPA to this because it would have been returned for a touchdown and the EPA model doesn't know that. Um, but also maybe not. Cause I think a lot of offensive players let up a little bit cause they saw the flag and they saw, Oh, okay. That's, that's going to come back or maybe not. I don't know. It's like kind of hard to know. Um, 
who, you know, how exactly how hard somebody could have gone. You can't prove a negative, you know, but either way, like you can tell how much caveating and stuff I have to do. It's all very, uh, nebulous and subjective so take whatever out you want take put whatever in you want if you leave all six in the vikings suffered 10.3 epa due to bad luck and they benefited from 11.04 epa due to due to good luck so about three quarters of a point in epa from luck it's not nothing but it cancels a lot out uh and a lot of the swingiest plays were kind of fluky and weird in this one and it kind of came down to what happened in the rest of the plays and the Vikings did better than the commanders in uh, such that they won the game, right? That's how I would go here. Now, personally, I probably wouldn't keep all six. I would probably call the interception and the field goal penalty skill issues, right? Um, I would call the personal foul. I don't have a huge issue with that call. So I would probably take that out. Um, the, two pass interference things, the halftime interception that a lot of people said maybe that could have been a, pa a defensive pass interference call, the the tipped ball from Benjamin St. Just, um, and, and a couple of other times when St. Just was playing pretty physical and they didn't call it, but then they called it on the pick six. I don't know. Those feel like 50-50 calls, so those do kind of feel like elements of luck, and, and ref mistakes are elements of luck, not elements of malice. Um, I don't know, but... What I would rather focus on is what the Vikings earned here. And I think you have to start with Kirk Cousins there. And also TJ Hawkinson deserves a mention. So that's the rest of what we're going to talk about here. We'll talk about how Cousins played, how Hawkinson played. Um, but hey, first things first, you got to keep everything safe. Keep that ball safe, right? Keep your side of the field safe. Keep your home safe. That's what Simply Safe is for. And right now, Locked On Vikings listeners can order the number one rated Simply Safe home security system for 50% off. It's their biggest offer of the year, and you don't want to miss it. Simply Safe's advanced technology, whether it's controlling your system from your phone with the app, watching crystal clear HD live stream of your security cameras, or their advanced AI technology that can differentiate random motion animals, pets, or whatever from actual genuine threats and get the proper authorities dispatched. Simply Safe was named the best home security system of 2022 by US News and World Report for the third year in a row. And they have 24 7 professional monitoring agents that use Fast Protect technology exclusively from Simply Safe to capture that critical evidence and verify the threat. Don't miss your chance to save big on the only security system I can recommend. Get 50% off of new Simply Safe system at simplysafe, S I M P L I S A F E dot com slash locked on NFL today. It's their biggest discount of the year, so don't wait. That's simplysafe.com slash locked on NFL. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Thanks so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day. For your second listen, check out Locked On Sports today. It's the flagship. All sports show. It's our locked on version of like Sports Center, talking about everything. Also, check out uh, Patreon. A lot of the stuff I'm talking about here today with Kirk Cousins and TJ Hawkinson will be broken down on Patreon in a lot more detail and with the actual tape up. So if you'd rather watch it that way, go check me out there and I would appreciate your support. Um, man, Kirk Cousins bald. That's the headline here. <laughs> I, that's the take. Um, he. I doubt he had a good game. It didn't feel like a good game. It certainly wasn't only good. There were throws that he missed. 
Um, there was one that a lot of people really wanted to argue about, uh, an underthrow to Justin Jefferson. You might think of it as the Justin Jefferson drop, hit him right in the hands, but he had to kind of fight through it and it was made harder than it had to be. Um, I, I can explain that one in more detail if you want, but I also posted the explanation on Twitter and it's in the Patreon post. So you get to, you can get to it. However, um, there were a couple other times that I could like pick nits, but the overall impression that I get is that the offense being stymied for a long time had a lot more to do with problems on the offensive line. And yeah, Ezra Cleveland just had a nightmare day. Um, I thought Bradbury and Ingram had better days than we've been seeing them have, but like, I'm not happy with it yet on that interior and then like add Cleveland being bad. And it was an all time bad day for the interior offensive line. A bunch of people asked for Twitter Tuesday. I don't think I got to any of it, but they asked like, Hey, is this a big concern? Are we, is he bad now? It's one game. Relax. If, if this happens, you know, two, three games in a row then we can have that conversation. Um, but I think Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne are just good. And they just handed those guys bad day. Sometimes you get your ass kicked. Um, but that meant a whole lot of very quick pressure and a lot of the passing concepts got ruined because they had to be rushed and there's just nothing you can really do about that. That just sort of sucks. And a lot of the same stuff happened in the run game, but we'll get to it later too. A lot of what went wrong with the run game was TJ Hawkinson. I, I he killed like three or four plays by blocking the wrong guy. He'd been there for four days, totally understandable. But Hey, if you had the question, what happened to the run game? The new guy struggled with some stuff. Great day for him. We'll get to him, but um, you, you need some nuance for that. That kind of led to the offense being stymied. I, I, watching the tape, I did not often find myself going, man, they could have converted that if Kirk Cousins just played better. They could have had a chance to convert some stuff if Kirk Cousins played better, but it did not feel like he was holding the team back at their worst. And at their best, it felt like he was a driving force, especially at the end of the game. Look, third and seven, or I'll go back a play before that. Second and 18, right? I think they took a sack or something. Um, second and 18, they run choice return or choice stucco, which is a favorite concept of Sean McVay, especially in, you know, early neutral down situations. It's kind of their bread and butter. That is on one side of the field, you have uh, Justin Jefferson running a choice or option where it's essentially a runaway from leverage. And on the other side, you have a return route where you break outside and then you turn around and you actually go inside at about the same depth at five-ish, six-ish yards. Justin Jefferson is almost always the choice guy on that. Um, they only have other guys run it just enough to subvert. And um, that is a really good way to get the ball in his hands with space to work underneath and, and, get, and get that yak, right? Um, so he takes that on second and 18, gets a lot of yak. He like makes that play, gets 11 yards, sets up a third and seven. Now you're getting late in the third quarter or in the fourth quarter, uh, like 12 ish minutes. Like you're getting to the, to the dire part. You're down two scores. They were down 10 at this point behind the chains at second and 18. Um, all you can set up is a man, a third and call it manageable seven, um, back up slot fade, go ball, to Justin Jefferson for like 45 yards while take while getting rocked and it's a rope. That's clutchness. And and when I look at that play, to me that's a postseason play. That's a we're going to be in the playoffs if you can be making that kind of play. 
in that kind of situation with that kind of pressure, both physical and like figurative pressure, um, that's the kind of thing we need to see in the postseason. And seeing proof of concept for it in the regular season is really, really encouraging. And then next drive coming down and hitting that post wheel, um, that that touchdown to Dalvin Cook, knock it right in the bread basket. Those are a couple of huge throws, big, big, big time throws um, from Kirk Cousins. And I think his game deserves to be defined by them, even though I could nitpick a whole bunch and talk about, eh, you know, I kind of thought that there was a post over the middle he could have hit for a touchdown on one of the drives. We can have a conversation about, is he going to Jeff, Justin Jefferson in like one-on-one jump balls too much? Or did he? He went for like three or four jump balls to Justin Jefferson against Benjamin St. Juiced. The only one they connected on was the touchdown. The rest of them were um, either intercepted One of them was the pick six that got called back. One of them was a third and four fade on the goal line uh, at the end of the game that set up the field goal attempt. That was the the one with the penalty. So that was a failure. Um, You know, there, there was, it didn't work great. And I guess credit to St. Juice, because I think he was the guy in coverage on all of them. Um, But man, maybe, maybe he overdid it, right? Maybe the Vikings overdid it. And maybe they should pull that back a little bit and run more regular concepts. And hey, maybe the jump ball isn't the thing. And how often do you go to it? Can we can we go to this five times a game, or should we just kind of pick one or two spots? Um, I think that's an interesting conversation that the Vikings likely will be having or have had. The almost certainly have had it by now. It's Wednesday, um, but that. I guess the closest thing to a Kirk Cousins critique I can have, but that's also going to be like just him following what's likely a coaching point. So it's more of a coaching critique than anything. It was a good game, man. That's you could caveat it all you want and I could go like pick out stuff on the edges. But at the end of the day, it was a good game and the Vikings trailed by 10 points in the fourth quarter and Kirk Cousins was the driving force that brought them back. If that can continue to be the case, I mean, I don't want it be trailing by two scores a lot <laughs> but next time they're trailing by two scores if he can do that again if he can keep being that guy and he has been that guy a whole bunch this year i mean they've trailed by two scores more than just this time <laughs> they trailed by two scores before too they trailed by two scores against miami and they came back that's uh that he keeps doing that and he is the driving force in a lot of those situations let's see what happens in the postseason but that's the kind of play we need to see and if we get that play in the postseason i Sure as heck like our odds, especially playing at home. Um, The other big story of this one, though, is TJ Hawkinson. TJ Hawkinson is pretty cool, man. He's exciting. And I want to talk about why I'm excited about him. Not only what he showed, but the problems that happen also in a roundabout way are a reason to be excited. But you might have another reason to be excited And it is the sponsor of today's video, Blue Nile. Whether you're looking to pop the question, have a milestone to celebrate, or just want to uh, appreciate that special someone, Blue Nile is the place to find that special gem. If you're looking for a piece of fine jewelry to commemorate a special occasion or just celebrate a special person, you can shop stress-free with Blue Nile's 100% satisfaction guarantee. All Blue Nile orders are insured and shipped for free in discreet packaging, so they're not going to know what's in there. And they can even offer overnight shipping if you're like me and you're a procrastinator. So make that moment sparkle 
with Blue Nile. Go to BlueNile.com and use code LOCKEDON to save $50 on your purchase of $500 or more. That's B-L-U-E-N-I-L-E dot com. Code LOCKEDON to save 50 bucks on your purchase of $500 or more. BlueNile.com, code LOCKEDON. So last thing I want to talk about is TJ Hawkinson. Um, definitely a lot to discuss with him. And it's all good. And the stuff that isn't good kind of slants good. But the just no caveats good stuff. You saw him run routes um, and really like separate from people, separate from safeties and linebackers, really get them um, in a way that we've never seen Irv Smith do. And I liked the way that Irv Smith separated that hold a candle. Um, that's really exciting. We saw him block very well, too. I don't know if I watched him like lose a lot of blocks. I saw him screw up a lot of blocks by blocking the wrong guy. More on that in a sec. But I saw a lot more blocking highlights than low lights once he was actually like assignment sound, like on the plays where he was assignment sound. And again, four days of practice. He's not going to be assignment sound. So of course, all of that stuff is understandable. Um, I wrote a whole article breaking down what those mistakes were, and they weren't just in the run. There was some pass pro stuff. He ran the wrong route once. Um, there's all of there, like, there's a, a, a lot of interesting stuff to learn by examining that. And you can do so without then judging on it, right? Because you can say, okay, yeah, here's all these things he messed up. I'm going to point them out and explain them. But like, that's fine. He was there for four days, but it's now something to watch, right? Um, this is where we kind of like, what's the hypothesis and, and, and what's the actuality? My hypothesis, my prediction is that TJ Hawkinson will not make these mistakes. Most of them were like weighted toward the beginning of the game. Um, and so I wouldn't anticipate that he's going to get into the Buffalo game and screw up a bunch of blocks again. He has now been here for a whole, a whole week. He got into the game plan. He's getting into the normal swing of things. Um, still might see a few mistakes as he continues to get acclimated. A zero would be a great result, but not what I'm expecting quite yet. But he made a lot. I pulled out six, and I can't be I can't guarantee you that I found them all. Those ruined a lot of plays, and those I mean those were tackles for loss, um, sacks, you know, drive killing stuff. The thing about football is. Um, you know, I'll address another question. I, I get just about every mailbag and during games, a lot of times people will, will send this question to me is man, wh wh why do they just like disappear in the third quarter? What's going on? Wh what's with all the consecutive series? Why are they so streaky like this? And part of it's just a facet of luck. Part of it might be like a mental thing, you know, where they just sort of get into this bad momentum and they got to shake it off. But part of it is if you think about like a three and out, one bad play on first and 10, let's say TJ Hawkinson ruins a protection and gives up a sack on first and 10. It is now second and 20. Well, that's super likely to be a punt now, even if the other two plays do pretty well. Now you have to be really good on those other two plays. And really, one mistake killed a whole series. And when it comes to like the third quarter as an entity, you might only see the ball once in a quarter because you got two long drives on the other end of it. And then you'll see the ball four times in the fourth quarter or something like that, right? Um, that is, you know, just a random fluke most of the time. So I don't give it a whole bunch of time of day, but that's the kind of impact that Hawkinson's mistakes had. But when he was assignment sound, when he was running the right route, those routes were good. When he was making the right block, those blocks were good. If 
the odds-on favorite outcome happens, the probable outcome is that he will be assignment sound, or at least closer to it, each week. Um, he will get closer to assignment sound until a certain point, probably not so far in the future, where he just is assignment sound as much as anybody else would be. Um, then you only get the part where he's good at stuff. I don't know. I'm like just really excited about this kid, man. <laughs> it's, just, it's really cool to have DJ Hawkinson. And um, there is also that unseen impact. And I, and I want to make sure that people understand that. Nine catches for 70 yards is an awesome tight end stat line. Take that all day. But if you remove those nine plays and you look at everything else, there is still impact that is worth um, examining and giving him credit for the blocks that he made some really great moments in pass protection too. Yeah. He screwed up one, one pass protection and he gave up a sack on a corner blitz. Um, but he also held up against an edge rusher one-on-one on a big long play that turned into one of the biggest gains of the day to Adam Thielen. Um, he was really great at climbing up. One of the best runs of the day from Dalvin cook was, TJ Hawkinson getting a great chip on an edge rusher so that I think it was Darius, I think it was on that side, can get his reach, and then climbing up and, and taking care of a linebacker. It was an awesome block. And then there's just like that speed element, and you got this with Irv Smith, and you get this with Hawkinson too, who is, I think he actually tested a slight bit slower than um, Irv Smith. Irv Smith's crazy fast for a tight end. He ran like a 4.63. That's a lot for a tight end. Um, but you still get that clear out where he was on a on a flood concept, TJ Hawkinson was the deep corner. You can't do that with Johnny Munt or, you know, when Ben Ellison comes back. You could do that with Irv Smith, but Irv Smith wasn't nearly the blocker that Hawkinson is. And this is kind of what everybody said when we got him, but we definitely saw that bear out and materialize and actually, like, play out the way it is supposed to play out in that game. Just got to clean up the miscommunications and the busts, and you just got to be assignment sound. Don't expect that from you four days in, 11 days in, right? Next game, a little bit more we can expect. And by like Thanksgiving, he should be assignment sound. And if he is not, if the problem, you know, sustains or gets worse, it's definitely a thing that we should watch for, right? Let's see if he screws up other assignments. I don't expect him to, but if he does, that's definitely going to be part of his story here in Minnesota. And maybe that's just a thing of his, but I don't really see that happening. Um, he's just a weapon and he's one that you can be excited about. Uh, I wanted to talk about the defense more too, but really what it says on the box for the defense, there's not like a really big secret to it. Caleb Evans played pretty well on Terry McLaurin a whole bunch. They did a lot of in-breaking routes on him. Um, he, he didn't allow that. Zaria Smith and Daniel Hunter papered over any other issues going on in the secondary by getting pressure. The interior held up well. Um, the commander's run game is not one of the best in the league. And um, I think they had about an average day for themselves, which meant not a very good running day. And just like a really, really, really good game from Jordan Hicks. That's maybe one that I've undersold here, but I'm just kind of out of time to talk about it because it is now Bill's week. So tomorrow we're going to talk to Locked On Bills. We'll try to get the scoop on Josh Allen's elbow. If not, it's Case Keenum time. We'll see what else is going on there, who else is is hurt and healthy. The injury report's going to be a big part of this week, so we'll keep you updated on all of that here at Locked On Vikings. 
Um, I will see you all for that. Check out Locked On Sports today. Check me out on patreon.com slash LukeBronNFL. See you all tomorrow, and as always, Skull.